Today's case covers the tragic story of how one man became extremely successful. Through his success, he represented his hometown and his hometown loved him for it. But his life was taken way too soon in a tragedy that no one could have saw coming. I'm your host, Coy Atkins, and this is the story of Lorenzen Wright. The two religions of Memphis, Tennessee are Elvis and basketball. Memphis is basketball. It doesn't matter what walk of life you come from, what your race is, what your sex is, whether you're rich or you're poor. If you're from Memphis, you know something about basketball, and you most likely love basketball. For Lorenzen Wright, the city's love for basketball mixed with his own love for the sport, he knew that's exactly where he wanted to be. Lorenzen was born November 4th, 1975. His dad loved basketball, and he hoped that his son would love the sport just as much. As Lorenzen got older, when he was in high school, he grew to be 6 feet and 11 inches tall. His dominating height helped him in playing the game that he came to love so much. Lorenzen's parents separated when he was young, and when he was in high school, that's when he moved to Memphis to live with his dad. Now, for most high school athletes, when they move to a new school, there isn't much attention around it. But when Lorenzen moved to Memphis, he was already a well-known basketball star, and newspapers around Memphis were writing about him moving to town. Once he was in Memphis, there was one person that really caught his eye, and that person was Shara, who also happened to be the daughter to his basketball coach. Lorenzen and Shara, they met when some of the players were helping the coach move furniture to a new house, and he and Shara, they really hit it off together. She was a little bit older than him, he was going into his senior year of high school and she was just starting college. With as great as Lorenzen was in high school, it was no surprise that just about every major college in the country was trying to recruit him. Even with all of the big time programs, Lorenzen chose to stay in Memphis and attend the University of Memphis. While in college, Lorenzen was focused on two things he loved, basketball and Shara. After dating for a few years, Shara and Lorenzen had big news. Well, two big things. They were expecting a baby, and Lorenzen was entering the NBA draft to become a professional basketball player. In 1996, Lorenzen was drafted by the Los Angeles Clippers in the NBA draft. At 20 years old, Lorenzen was a professional basketball player with what seemed like endless amounts of money. Like a lot of young athletes that come into a lot of money at once, Lorenzen enjoyed it. His friends said that at one point he owned between 30 and 40 cars. If he saw a car that he liked, there was no hesitation and he bought it. Shara owned hundreds of expensive purses and they both developed a taste for luxury jewelry. In 2001, Lorenzen was traded to a different team. Now he was going back home to play for the Memphis Grizzlies. Ticket sales went through the roof. The entire town was excited to see their favorite person back and this time playing for the hometown team once again. Not only was he back home, but he and Shara also got married. To the people in Memphis, Lorenzen was more than just a basketball player. As much as he enjoyed buying cars and jewelry for he and Shara, 
He gave back to the community probably even more. Lorenzen bought clothes for kids in need, he paid utility bills for struggling families, and he would give money to people in need. Because of his basketball schedule, Lorenzen spent a lot of time traveling for different games. This time of always being on the road took its toll on Lorenzen's home life. Both he and Cher began having affairs. Over the next several years, just like most athletes, Lorenzen's career began taking a downward turn. In 2006, he went to play for Atlanta. Two years later, he went to Sacramento. And then after 13 years in the NBA, he finished his career in Cleveland. It's estimated that over the course of his career, Lorenzen earned $55 million in the NBA. But because of the lifestyle that he lived and how much he loved to give money to other people, when he retired in 2010, he didn't have that kind of money anymore. 2010 was also the year that he and Shara finally divorced. Neither of them trusted each other anymore, so they decided to go their separate ways, and Lorenzen ended up moving to Atlanta, Georgia. On Sunday, July 18, 2010, Lorenzen was back in Tennessee to see his daughter's dance recital. While he was there, he caught up with a good friend of his, Phil Dotson, and they arranged to hang out. That afternoon, Lorenzen and his son, Lorenzen Jr., were playing basketball with Phil when Lorenzen received a phone call. Phil told ABC News that Lorenzen received a phone call from Shara demanding that he bring their son back home. So Phil drove Lorenzen and his son back to the house. When they got there, Lorenzen told Phil that he was going to try and speak with her and calm her down. Then he would call Phil later that night and the two of them could hang out some more. Hour by hour ticked by and Phil never received a call from Lorenzen. In fact, no one heard from Lorenzen. Over the next several days, his mom tried to call him, but he didn't return her calls. That was a huge red flag to her because he always returned her calls. Days began to pass and Shara called Phil that Thursday asking if he had talked to Lorenzen, but Phil hadn't heard from him either. Once Lorenzen's mom found out that several days passed without anyone hearing from him, she went to the police and filed a missing persons report. The police began talking to family and friends trying to gather all of the details about Lorenzen that they could. Cher said that she last saw him when he left the house after dropping off their son. She said that he went to the attic and grabbed a box and then left the house. While everyone was concerned about not hearing from Lorenzen, there was someone that did get a phone call from him. But this phone call did not provide any hope for this investigation. Over the last few years, I've been writing a fictional book called One Moment, and it's now available on Amazon. It's based in St. Augustine, Florida, and it tells the story of Micah and Sarah. After spending six years in the army, Micah returned to his hometown. Returning home was never part of his plan, but after the physical, emotional, and mental stress from war, home was the best place for him. Sarah is beginning to put her life back together after escaping an abusive marriage. At 24 years old, She's a 911 dispatcher living in St. Augustine. While she is starting to heal, she crosses paths with Micah. Immediately, there is an undeniable connection between the two of them, and they know that they were put in each other's lives for a reason. When Sarah's jealous and abusive ex-husband finds out about the new relationship, he has to get involved himself. While this puts a strain on Sarah and Micah's relationship, dark secrets begin to come out, and they learn that Maybe you never truly know someone, and sometimes the best and the worst things in life can all be traced back to one moment. One Moment's available now on Amazon. It's $9.99 for a paperback copy and $2.99 for an ebook. 
The Amazon link is in the show notes. And if you read it, I really hope you enjoy it. And please let me know what you think of it. Eight days after Lorenzen was reported missing, police found out that just after midnight on July 19th, the Germantown Police Department, which is the town that borders the east side of Memphis, received a 911 call. The 911 call taker answered the phone asking where the emergency was. There was a male screaming on the other end of the line. Then there was a gunshot. Silence. And then there were several more gunshots and the phone disconnected. For whatever reason, this 911 call taker never put a call in for cops to go to the area where the phone was pinging at, where someone was screaming and gunshots were in the background. No one knew about this call until eight days after Lorenzen was reported missing. A dispatch supervisor learned about the call. The male voice, it wasn't clear enough to say for sure that it was Lorenzen, but it happened the night that he went missing. There's screaming and there's gunshots. The supervisor turned the call over to the police that were investigating Lorenzen's case. They're able to trace where the call came from, which was a secluded area on the outskirts of Memphis called Callus Cutoff. The police brought in canines to the area and located human remains in a horrific crime scene. The body was exposed to outside elements and was decomposed bad enough to where they couldn't identify the body. Around the scene, police found two different calibers of bullet casings, leading them to believe that there were two guns involved, which meant there was a high likelihood that there were two shooters. Once the medical examiner began the autopsy, they located gunshot wounds to the victim's head, arms, and chest. The medical examiner then used dental records to confirm that the victim was in fact Lorenzen. A task force was put together that was composed of the Memphis Police Department, Shelby County Sheriff's Office, and the FBI. One of the first things that the task force did was search the last place that Lorenzen was known to be, Sheriff's House. Earlier in the investigation, Sheriff mentioned that Lorenzen left the house with a box in his hand. Whether it's because Lorenzen's case was now a murder case or because this task force was involved, this time Sherry gave a little bit more information about that night. She said that she believed Lorenzen was involved with a group of people in selling drugs, and there were drugs in that box. She said that while he was at the house, he got a phone call. He then grabbed the box from the attic, and as he was leaving, he told her that he was about to make $110,000. The FBI already had an investigation into an international drug smuggling operation that was operating in the Memphis area. Lorenzen's name came up in that investigation as having ties to a well-known drug dealer, Craig Petty's. The chief of Memphis Police Department described Craig as being the largest drug dealer in the history of Memphis. Craig used a drag racer named Bobby Cole to smuggle cocaine in and out of the city using his race cars. Remember earlier I said that Lorenzen loved cars? He had a lot of them. Well, a few years before his murder, Lorenzen sold some of his sports cars to Bobby, but the cars remained registered in Lorenzen's name. So when the FBI began doing their investigation and they found these cars, that's what led them to Lorenzen's name. Now, a big question about all of this was why and how did he get caught up in drug smuggling? Before getting divorced, Lorenzen and Sharon were already living beyond their means. They owned four houses, some of them were even in foreclosure. Sharon didn't have any income, so part of the divorce settlement stated that Lorenzen had to pay her $26,000 a month, which was a combination of child support and alimony. So, he had a lot of debt, he was still having to pay a lot of money, he didn't have a lot of money saved, 
and he wasn't making the NBA money anymore. This put Lorenzen in a position to where he had to figure out a way to make money and to make money fast. So this is what led to the speculation that he was involved in drug smuggling. Lorenzen's family and friends, they didn't believe that he was connected to the organized crime and didn't believe that he had anything to do with selling drugs. In fact, his only connection to Bobby was selling the cars to Bobby, which if Lorenzen was broke and needed to make money fast, he did have something worth money, his cars. So it would make sense for him to sell his sports cars to a race car driver and for him to do so without any knowledge or involvement in drug smuggling. So there were no real connections that connected him to the drug operation other than selling the cars, which at the time that was the biggest lead that the investigators had was that if this murder had something to do with a drug smuggling operation. But time passed with no other leads. In 2012, Shara wrote a book called Mr. Tell Me Anything. In this fictional book, the main character, Sharon, is married to an NBA superstar. The book goes on to paint the NBA player in a bad light, talking about affairs and painting him as an abusive person. This only fueled an ongoing feud between Shara and Lorenzen's family, as they were already battling in court over Lorenzen's assets. When Lorenzen died, he had a $1 million life insurance policy. Maintaining that policy was also a condition of the divorce settlement, which I feel like when you're getting divorced, you shouldn't make the other person get a life insurance. That kind of seems like you're setting something up. But a year after the murder, Shara collected the money. Then she blew through the million dollars within a year. So Lorenzen's family was battling in court trying to make sure that she didn't have control over his retirement account because they're clearly worried that she's going to blow all of that money too and his kids won't have anything. And then another thing happened in 2012. While all of this court stuff was going on, police got a break in the case. A guy by the name of Jimmy Martin was in jail after being convicted on a murder charge. He told police that he had information on where the weapon was that was used to kill Lorenzen. But in exchange for that information, he wanted a lighter sentence. Then there was one thing that was kind of off in this situation. Jimmy wasn't some random person in jail. He was Cher's cousin. So Jimmy sits down and talks with investigators, and what he says is much more than just information about where the gun is. He said that in 2010, Cher approached him and a third person named Billy Ray Turner and talked to them about killing Lorenzen in order to collect the $1 million life insurance policy. Jimmy said that in the summer of 2010, the plan was to kill Lorenzen in Atlanta. Cheryl went there to visit Lorenzen for the weekend. One night, she left, and she left a window unlocked without Lorenzen noticing. Later that night, Jimmy and Billy Ray snuck into the apartment to kill Lorenzen, but the person that was asleep in the apartment wasn't him, so they left. After the Atlanta incident, Jimmy went back to Mississippi. A few weeks later, Shara showed up at Jimmy's house asking to borrow a metal detector. She said that she needed help finding something that she dropped. Jimmy went with her to what would later become the crime scene of where Lorenzen's murder happened. Shara used the metal detector to find a gun that she dropped on the ground. They then went to Mississippi and threw the gun into Walnut Lake. So there's one thing that police can find to authenticate Jimmy's story, the gun. Jimmy led them to the lake, and divers began searching. But with how long it had been since the gun was allegedly thrown in the lake, they knew the odds were slim to find it. At the end of the day, they came up empty. 
Police then started questioning Billy Ray and Shara. They both denied any involvement in the murder, and Shara offered a different theory. In 2010, Jimmy was out on bond for a murder charge where he killed his girlfriend. His defense was that he accidentally killed her, but Shara said that Jimmy confided in Lorenzen that it wasn't an accident and that he actually murdered her. Lorenzen, being the good-hearted person that he was, didn't take that news well, and Jimmy feared that Lorenzen would tell the cops. So with that information, investigators aren't sure if they can believe anything that Jimmy is saying or really believe what anyone is saying. And then, years begin going by again, with no real answers. Each year, Lorenzen's mother held a birthday vigil for him, where she would use the news stations to urge people if they had any information to come forward to police. Then in 2017, things changed. At this point, the task force was reassembled and they called it Operation Rebound. They began going through every piece of evidence again and re-interviewing every single person. One of the people that was interviewed again was the babysitter that Shara had hired. This time, she said that in June of 2010, Jimmy, Billy Ray, and Shara were at the house. The babysitter overheard them talking in another room where they mentioned a plan to kill Lorenzen for the insurance money. So this added a little bit more credibility to Jimmy's story. The FBI arranged a dive team and they went back to Walnut Lake in Mississippi. This time, they found the gun and forensic testing showed that it was the same gun used to kill Lorenzen. Now that they had the gun, the task force began setting up surveillance on Shara and listening to her phone calls. When news broke about the gun, Shara made a phone call where she said somebody must have told them something that led them to the gun. Then she went from California where she was living at the time to Memphis to meet Billy Ray at a church dinner. The conversation that she and Billy Ray had couldn't be heard, but on December 5th, 2017, Billy Ray walked into a gas station. He walked to the counter and he bought a drink. As he turned around, cops were behind him and took him into custody for first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. A week and a half later, Shara was arrested in California. On July 25, 2019, Shara surprised everyone. She was out of moves, out of people to blame, and out of money to buy silence from others. She pleaded guilty to Lorenzen's murder she never gave a statement for what actually happened on the night that Lorenzen was killed. She was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Billy Ray's trial is still ongoing. While Shara wouldn't ever say exactly what happened, it's believed that she lured him to that area where he was killed. She then created this drug dealing theory to try and pass the blame on to local drug dealers. But Lorenzen's family and friends knew that wasn't the life that he lived. This brings us to a conclusion of this episode of Crime Nerds. If you could, please give the show a rating and a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. It really helps me out a lot. And thank you for listening.